Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and I am so glad to be joined today by Ling Ma. We were supposed to do an event earlier last month when her story collection Bliss Montage first came out, and uh, I had COVID. So <laughs> I'm so glad I get a chance to talk to her now. She's a writer hailing from Fujian, Utah, and Kansas. She is the author of the novel Severance, which received the Kirkus Prize, a Whiting Award, the VCU Cabell First Novelist Award, and the New York Public Library Young Lions Fiction Award. She lives in Chicago with her family. And yes, her story collection is called Bliss Montage. Welcome, Ling. Thank you, Maris. Thanks for having me. Oh, such a pleasure. I, I think I want to start, um, and this was, I, I am lucky that I got to see the kind of the publicity preview event for your book. And you told us all what a bliss montage actually is. And it really cover, colored my reading um, of the story. So if you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah, well, a bliss montage in film studies, uh, cinema studies, refers to sort of this a quick edited sequence uh, showing the character having kind of a joy spree, and it's, uh, and you can see it in many popular films such as Home Alone and many rom coms. Um, I, where I heard it from, I I believe the film scholar Janine Basinger coined the term um, in her book, A Woman's View, uh, which is about this uh, outdated genre of film called the women's film. And she made the observation that the bliss montage uh, originates in this genre of film, which, uh, which at the time were kind of public, were these sort of morality tales, uh, involving female protagonists um, um they're not really it's it's not really much of a genre anymore but uh they used to be popular um i think from the 30s to the 60s i believe yeah cool and it's um it's an interesting thing to think about in terms of montage what you choose to include what story you're telling um, in, in these little snippets versus what happens off camera or off stage or off page. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think, yeah, I guess my that was my loose inspiration for naming the collection Bliss Montage, but often I think just as a fiction writer, I do gravitate to, I mean, I've always said like my point of entry into writing a story is usually some sort of fantasy or wish fulfillment element. Um, that is what I try to maybe inhabit first um, before I get deeper into the story. Um, I have found that, you know, there, I do feel there is some element of like wish fulfillment throughout everything I write. And I have found <laughs> um, that when you attempt habit 
some sort of fantasy, it usually turns nightmarish. So I wouldn't say that this is necessarily, you know, the most joyful or happiest of uh, collections. Uh, I think it has some sort of dreamlike and nightmarish elements uh, in in there. Yeah, and I think it's so wonderfully embodied in the first two stories in the collection, because I feel like the first story, you get the high fantasy um, in, in which the protagonist is actually living with 100 of her ex-boyfriends. <laughs> yeah. And then the following story, Oranges, is much more realistic, um, but there's a character who kind of appears in both. And he's the abusive ex-boyfriend named Adam. Mm -hmm. Tell me about writing different incarnations of him. Yeah, so I guess um, both stories, Los Angeles and Oranges, maybe deals with domestic abuse. Uh, one is more of a sort of fantastical take um, on that subject. Uh, it has a very fantastical premise involving this woman who lives in this very nice beautiful yeah. home um in with uh her 100 ex-boyfriends and uh, I think her husband her new bankrolls yeah, <laughs> yeah bankrolls <laughs> the whole endeavor and in the other one uh I think it's more of a realist take on domestic abuse um that is that was my attempt at sort of writing straight up realism. Uh, Los Angeles, I had written, it was published, I believe, in Granta in 2015. So I had written, it's one of the older stories yeah. in the collection. Um, and it occurred to me years later, I wrote many of these stories during the pandemic, to um, try to tackle the same topic again, but yes, from a perspective that's more rooted in realism. So I did write oranges knowing that it was going to be part of a story pairing with Los Angeles. I wanted to explore a, a similar topic but with two different but with two sort of different approaches and uh, of course Los Angeles ends with a chase and uh, oranges begins with a following and there is this bad ex-boyfriend named Adam in both of them. Um, I just was trying things out and I wanted to see, you know, where it got me. Yeah. Um, and, and I love the more um, fantastical elements of Los Angeles. I like that the husband speaks like a Peanuts character, basically, but just with <laughs> dollar signs. Yeah. I was, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, go ahead. The, the husband, we should say, who, who she met on loweredexpectations.com. Yeah. <laughs> Although she married quite well, so <laughs> this is it really lowered expectations? But yeah, I the dollar signs dialogue that was mostly from I think I was trying to figure out what a finance bro would, would <laughs> say, and I just kept thinking, well, I started I even ordered a book about the about the economy. I don't know what I was thinking, and then I just. I knew he had to say something, so I knew he was going to talk about money, so I just put dollar signs uh, in that first draft, uh, in that early draft, and then I realized, actually, I don't have to do any of this research. We already <laughs> understand what the what he's saying, um, and it's all, I you know, when people talk about money and stocks and things, it's already 
kind of incomprehensible to me anyway. So, and I feel like to many readers it already is. So I didn't really need to get too deep into that. What a good solution. <laughs> and that um, is the fantasy, a rich husband. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's his, his role. When you're hiring, you're supposed to leave no stone unturned, but how do you actually do that? Easy partner with one powerful stone turner. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash Maris to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash Maris. Indeed.com slash Maris. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And then in, in Oranges, I love that it's it's a darker story, almost literally. Like I, I, I imagine that Los Angeles is bright and shiny yeah. and Oranges is, is dark. But but also there there is that actual orange in the story that rolls off the tray onto the floor. Mm-hmm. And tell me about that as as a metaphor or as like a character trait for Adam. Well, I actually, I mean, I it wasn't until later that I realized, okay, oranges is going to be a story pairing, but. I had a draft of a story for years and it was just, it wasn't really a draft. It was maybe a few paragraphs sketched out. And what I was really trying to get at is um, when you, in retrospect, when you make a realization about someone based on a very simple observation, like in retrospect, I remember, and this is a strange maybe connection here but I remember reading Marilyn Robinson's Gilead and the preacher uh writes uh the main character who's a preacher writes in his journals like sometimes visions come to us from the past like from memory and that line always stuck with me and so I wrote and in Oranges the character sort of has this moment of realization she years ago she witnesses her ex um they're in like this sort of cafeteria style cafe and he's gets an orange he pays for it and then the orange rolls off his tray it disappears he can't find it but instead of just getting another orange or flagging it to someone he just lets it go and it's like an it's expensive for an orange it's like a three dollar (laughs) orange and years later the character the main character the narrator has this realization about him based on based on just that one tiny moment um and i maybe i shouldn't spoil uh you know what it is but that i wrote the story around that moment of realization i think the interesting thing is that 
even though she comes to this realization about him like years and years later, it doesn't, it doesn't, it still doesn't put her at peace with him. I think that was the interesting part. I thought, oh, you have this epiphany about someone you're going to, and so you realize some aspect of their character you haven't seen before. You know, you come to an understanding of who they are, and yet she's still kind of compelled um, to follow him. Um, the story starts with she spot she's leaving work. She spots him on the street, and she, and it's been several years since they've dated. Um, and she starts following him back to his home. Um, and so I guess I was interested in exploring like this compulsion to like not let go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when the story first began, I thought everyone on the street probably looks like him. Like if he's front of mind or back of mind <laughs> always, I guess, uh, that, that that's such a universal experience that the person you're thinking about is the person you see on the street all the time. Um, it, it took me a while to realize, I mean, especially because the FSG uh, cover of your book has a bunch of beautiful oranges um, <laughs> behind some plastic, that, that an orange is, is much like a banana <laughs> or melon in that if it falls on the ground, you're not eating the skin. So even if it rolled very far away, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. like an apple falling. <laughs> yeah. I read on somewhere on that like it doesn't matter if an orange, like certain fruits with like thick rinds, it doesn't matter if they're organic or not because the rinds are so thick, you're protected from the pesticides. I hope I'm not, <laughs> I remember reading <laughs> that, but everybody. I, uh, everyone needs to Google that to make sure. I hope I'm not spreading <laughs> false information, but I remember thinking, oh, that's fine. I'll just always buy cheap oranges then. I'll, ne <laughs> I'll never invest in like an expensive organic orange. <laughs> I love it. Um, the next story is called G, mm -hmm. and G is a drug that makes you invisible, yes. which I feel like is such a great way to talk about the gaze of others and how it feels to be rid of it for a moment. Yeah, Tell me about I think that, that. was... I had the story, I, it's about two friends who are formerly close who hang out on this last night. One friend is leaving for like grad school the next day. And so they get, get together and hang out one last night in New York. Um, and that's actually what I started with. I had scenes sketched out from that story for years. Um, it wasn't until I realized, oh, they take drugs on their last night and it's going to be a fantastical sort of uh, thing that this story really began to take shape. I think a lot of it, I think I became, the story reactivated for me because I was so interested in describing like the physical sensation of like uh, being invisible and not just by invisible, it's really just not to be scrutinized, like 
And I think women off, all have, we all have complicated relationships with our bodies with our and being anchored <laughs> physically um, to ourselves that what if you take away that sort of consciousness um, of being looked at um, what does that feel like and ascribing a physical sensation to it that was really a lot of fun and you know as someone who worked at Playboy <laughs> and used to uh, I've even written what they call girl copy which is like um, the text that accompanies the pictorials and and, uh, and um yeah just thinking about what it's like not to be looked at anymore um but still have the freedom of moving around in the world I thought it would be I think that's what sort of springboarded me into that story and and the narrator of course, then, you know, we learn more about her backstory and um, we learn that the other time she felt free was when she went into her goth phase. <laughs> Tell me about that and why, why that's freedom making for her. Oh yeah, I think for her, she, so much of uh, this is also a bit of a mother-daughter story and it's yeah. about you know she looks like her mother and her mother is consciously trying to sh during when she was a teenager her mother tried to consciously shape her into being more like the mother and actually kind of using her own body to um a kind of uh I think her way of rebelling was to not live up to her mother's uh, standards of feminine beauty. And so she goes through a goth phase and she gets a tattoo and whatever things that horrify um, a Chinese American mother. And also keeping in mind that sometimes Asian body standards are even more restrictive um, and more like uh, strict. Uh, and so that sort of compounds that pressure that she's trying to get out from. And I should say this story is about two Chinese American uh, women and um, that competition that they have with each other, um, including as it pertains to their bodies as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I won't give anything else away, but it is um, haunting. Um, I want to move on to talking about returning because it's catnip for me in the way that um, it's about a lot of different things, but one of the things that the story is about is writing and particularly writing fiction. Um, the narrator uh, is a writer, her husband is a writer, her husband teaches a class called Truths and Half-Truths, Autobiography versus Autobiographical Fiction. I, tell me about shaping a story around that idea that, that there are different, that there are, those are two very distinct genres. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if the story returning was um, based around, um, Mm -hmm. sort of autobiography um, so much or the question of like autobiography versus 
autobiographical fiction. Uh, to me, I think what I got me into writing returning was um, all of these, well, it's kind of about a love triangle. Um, one aspect of it is a love triangle between these three writers. And part of it, what was fun was <laughs> writing out like these descriptions of their first novels and uh, having these little uh, sort of detours into their novels. Um, that was, and kind of playing all of these, um, these, novel descriptions uh, against the story that they were actually living. And I think I realized I learned a lot more about what the story was about um, when I realized that these descriptions of each of their first novels, they were all about being out of time. <laughs> it was always, they were all about being somehow out of like this the narrative that they were supposed to be in. So for instance, um, the narrator's first novel as described, it's called Two Weeks and it's about um, a husband and wife who decide to cryogenically freeze themselves for several years so that their stock holdings and other assets can appreciate. And then they can be, if they project themselves into the future, they can you know, live a nicer and wealthier life because they'll of have course. more money. <laughs> and um, I, but what happens is the wife's uh, freezing chamber <laughs> suffers a glitch and she wakes up before the husband, like within a matter of days, and she has to kind of undergo the procedure again. Um, but, but during that time, she's of two weeks, she's kind of able to uh, just be by herself. Um, so something about being out of sync, out of time, um, and I realized so much, you know, it starts off, it, the story returning begins with the narrator who is at this airport of a foreign country who realizes that her husband has left the country, has left the airport without her, and he has the passports, everything in his, in his uh, luggage, so she can't leave the airport, and this sort of I think it was the sense of waiting. And I was thinking about like how women are constantly waiting, like to live out this sort of, I guess, heteronormative, like life narrative, like marriage, children, mm -hmm, <laughs> property mm -hmm. ownership, etc. Mm -hmm. And this, that you're constantly, constantly waiting. So I think this is, this story is about, uh, is playing around with, subverting that sort of timeline or being taking yourself out of that timeline in some ways or maybe not maybe it's not about it's about sticking to that timeline I don't know it feels like a very meditative story to me um and it was the one that I think was the most difficult to grapple with yeah yeah I I love that you have this really fantastical element going on where um they're in the country of Garboza yeah I googled it Ling just to make sure I was like I don't know maybe that's a real place uh it is not participate in this morning festival which I won't get too into but it's it's wild yeah and then on the other hand there are there's this couple 
in a love triangle, all three writers, and we get the really nitty gritty, like, these are the husband and wife uh, met while they were on their book promo circuit on a panel about the immigrant experience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I wonder about juxtaposing the two, the fantastical with, with the more realist elements. Yeah. I guess often I find like I always I you know I only two out of like eight stories in Bliss Montage are realist I think it's oranges and Peking duck that are uh, straight up I think I would classify them straight up realism maybe um, but the rest are mostly fantastical and I find that often by introducing a fantastical element it forces some issues to the to the surface in a way that maybe I can't do or I struggle with doing in a more straight up realist story. Um, I think it's because there's something about introducing a fantastical element that takes us out of the realm of the everyday. And um, they it's often like an activating agent for me. Um, I feel like I'm still beginning as a writer, so this may all change, you know, uh, at some point. But I, so far, you know, at least with Severance and with Bliss Montage, it, the, I think the fantastical element usually has just been, has been kind of an activating agent. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Love that. And you started an entire discourse about what store in the mall you would choose to um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> spend your time in if you had to. Um, well, what store would you? <laughs> yeah, okay, we should, we should both address this. Yes. I think it's, it, it would be like a sharper image type of place. Oh, yeah. Like lots Mas of gadgets, tools, massage chair, like massage <laughs> chairs. That's actually the most important. Yeah, self, <laughs> yeah, self grooming items and yeah. Uh, I, I mean, feel like yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I probably would. <laughs> um, maybe it would be like a clothing store I'm not sure I like to have options and maybe I would enjoy being in yeah some sort of clothing store I now I can't if it were the 90s I'd say the gap maybe it would just be like a basics like clothing store, like the gap or uniqlo I feel like um I would enjoy <laughs> never run out of t-shirts perfect yeah, puffers. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Picking Duck, though, um, because it, it really blew me away. Um, I am once again going to choose the writing angle to start. That mm -hmm. the narrator in an MFA class reads the Lydia Davis story, Happiest Moment. Mm -hmm. And of course that is based on uh, a memoir 
by Mark Saltzman, who relays an experience that he had in his in his memoir, talking to someone else. Tell me about framing these stories and how you create all of these layers. Yeah, so in the Mark Saltzman memoir, Iron and Silk, uh, um, there's a little anecdote. It's about a teacher who travels to China in the 80s um, to teach English. And this is uh, around the time that China was starting to open up to the West. Um, so it was, he was one of like the first. Um, and so that was what his memoir is about. In one scene of his memoir, he he recounts this class that he taught. Um, he asked all the students to come in with an essay about their happiest moment. And one student writes about being in Beijing and eating uh, that duck and all of the courses accompanying uh, that meal. And this, this was his happiest moment. After the class, he approaches the teacher, Mark Saltzman, and says, actually, this is what happened to my wife. And she's told it, but it made me so happy. Um, and she's told it to me for, and it made me so happy. And I just consider this my happiest moment. So already we have this framing and reframing. And then the tea, and then of course the memoir is Mark Saltzman putting in his book, reframing it again. And then, of course, Lydia Davis is, uses that, that anecdote from a book uh, and puts it in her short story, Happiest Moment. Um, so, of course, noticing the link between these two texts, I wanted to talk about, I wanted to approach the subject of framing and reframing, maybe within this idea of, well, I often think about the immigrant narrative, uh, well, as it's presented to like a Western audience and about how like immigrant, the children of immigrants are often the one, you know, the ones who are more fluent in English, more sort of Westernized. They're the ones presenting like on behalf of their parents' stories in some way. Um, but I guess I kind of, picking that kind of questions that, reframing um it questions that um that i don't know if appropriation is the right word because it's you know such a hot hot word and with a lot of implications there but i do question like using that sort of presenting uh and whether of other of parents' experiences, especially to a more Western audience and make, maybe making it more culturally palatable in some ways. Um, to, I don't know if I have like a hard stance on any of this, but I, that story was probably me thinking aloud and making some questions, um, you know, for myself as well as an immigrant writer, 1.5 generation like immigrant writer. And, and you do, like, it, it's very easy for the narrator to identify the Chinese cliches, the images on book covers that might um, <laughs> denote. And, and then... Well, in the publishing in industry, you know, thinking <laughs> about, like, what is the yeah. cultural capital that, <laughs> you know, which has its own, the publishing industry has the trends that it likes to follow as well. And sometimes it can be a little bit pandering, right? So um, yeah, I guess the narrator of P 
Peking Duck puts out a book like and the cover is like persimmons and like a Ming dynasty bowl or something like that and then I realized oh the cover of Bliss Montage is a bunch of oranges in a bag and I like <laughs> that symmetry <laughs> oh that's very funny how do you even put that together but but yeah, these what... are behind plastic which is very westernized <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but but I do love that there that even within the MFA class there's a discussion about the difference between appropriating someone's story and making it new through through retelling and is that are those binaries or and I love yeah. I love a story that doesn't answer the question who cares. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe they're not binaries. I think what gets me reading um, interested in uh, a book is specifically the author's point of view. It's the author's perspective. And, um, you know, the world is filtered through their perspective. That's why I read, you know, anything. And that you can't, I don't know, you, it, that would be difficult to replicate um, for anyone. But yeah anyways it's a story you can see where my sort of thoughts were how I was thinking aloud in that story um probably the most essayistic of all the stories in the collection I love it and so speaking of um what kind of writing you love please recommend some books for us Okay, well, coming out with the short story collection, I'll, I have two short story collection recommendations for you guys. Um, one is Skinship by Yoon Choi. Um, I was actually on this uh, like contest. It was a pen contest. I was one of the judges, and I, you know, we did we picked her book um, Skinship at the end. They are immigrant tales but just so deeply inhabited as to um obliterate um stereotypes um and really like there are many of the stories in the collection are like very long like 40 page stories but they're just so um rich deeply inhabited and so surprising in many ways they were really a pleasure to read um, skinship and then for those of you guys who like speculative fiction um i uh, was just reading uh the story collection called out there by kate folk mm -hmm. and i thought the world building in there was so was so strong and they were so interesting many of the stories revolve around dating and romantic relationships and I just had so much fun reading that collection so I would recommend uh, those two newish story collections to put on your radar wonderful well Ling Ma thank you so much Bliss Montage is out now you should read it <laughs> thank you so much Maris Thank you for listening to the Maris Review, and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.